Barclays. This is We're the Barclays podcast. That's right, our rebrand. About politics, culture, Christianity, and our opinions on the many topics at the intersection of all those things. Today we're talking about another heavy topic. Yes. Police reform, police brutality, and the Derek Chauvin trial. That's right. That's right. We actually, we took last week off, which is when uh, this trial verdict came out. We, uh, we've had a busy week or so in the Barkley house that we took the liberties of taking last week off. I'm sure mm-hmm. our many numerous fans missed us. You noticed we were gone last week. Dozens. <laughs> yes. And so we punted to this week and then, you know, we're, we're moving a little slow today. Our son is sick. We've been up since up about 3 a.m. on and off. So, yep. you know, forgive us if we mispronounce anything or anything like that. But we're here. But it's here an we important go. topic. It is. We feel very strongly that we needed to address this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, you haven't been reading the news on this, the trial of Derek Chauvin, he was the police officer um, in the nine minute video that really uh, most people in America, I think, saw last summer um, for the murder of George Floyd. Um, and this, the verdict that they found was Mr. Chauvin was guilty on all three accounts brought against him, including second degree murder. And I mean, this tragedy ran into, I mean, it's not the first time that someone has died at the hands of a police officer. Right. Unfortunately and sadly. And many since, right, that have been high profile caught mm-hmm. on, on video. Yeah. And... I think it's been helpful to, at least for me, to pause and reflect. Like we talked about in the mass shooting mm. gun control episode, to lament and yeah. to be sad about the loss of life every time we hear about it. I think there's there's a characteristic to now that so many people have cameras, video cameras that these things are just more visible. Yeah. And I shudder to think at the hundreds, thousands of injustices done Mm. that weren't, there was no ability for them to be captured on camera. True. Uh, video still. What would have happened without social media in this case? Right. 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 I mean the, the Emmett Till, Mm. uh, Mm. killing and the photos from his open casket funeral. I think that's another, Hmm landmark um and that wasn't police brutality but uh i can think of just similar effect here of for all to see the the violence that can happen when it's just a a lot of (laughs) it's like a convergence of a bunch of bad things yeah a bunch of uh, evil things right and you know i mean talking about Taking a minute to lament, I was listening to the Church Politics podcast, and they were talking about this outcome. And, you know, even being glad that justice played out in this court Mm -hmm. case, but also lamenting, you know, Derek Chauvin's family you know, him being Mm. sent away to prison and all the ramifications that will have. It's still a deeply sad thing. Um, it's true no matter what. So all around sad. It's true. 
Um, but yeah, this, this, uh, has been a very intense year thinking about police brutality Mm -hmm. and racism and the intersection of those things. Um, and you know, I was talking with some, uh, friends in a book club from our church about this and someone said something really insightful that kind of, it helped me a lot that when thinking about these things, there is room at the table for solutions that help everyone. So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. it's not the police versus black Americans, right? It that it doesn't have to be pick a side. Right. Um, right. There are right. ways to think about it and solutions out there that actually um, behoove everyone involved and right uh and we can talk about later how should christians be thinking about this talking about this but when justice is served properly when justice really plays out it should help all sides and you know in the the chauvin trial there are a number of police testimonies and the um the the chief there in uh, minneapolis his his testimony um, said that you know in in no way shape or form is anything that Mr. Chauvin did the department's policy. It's not part of their mm. training. It's not part of the ethics. It's not part of the values of that police department. Um, and when uh, somebody who goes against the, that police department's values is brought to justice. It helps all of the police officers who are doing the right thing. Hmm. It helps restore justice or uh, a sense of confidence in the system that if police officers break the law, do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. um, that justice will be served and, and trust in the police force helps other police officers. And um, I just thought that the number of uh, police that, testified in this case right right yeah there really were a number of them yeah was it was powerful yeah there there's the other point too that it's so rare for conviction like this to happen mm-hmm. from what i understand and you know uh you're totally right on all those points but it took a global like movement essentially and attention and protests in the streets and uh you know, this immense amount of energy and effort to get to where we are today with this hmm. particular conviction. So there is like that side of it, which I think is a uh, a point to consider as well. Um, I don't think it like delegitimizes it by any means, but it's just like wow, it should be it shouldn't be this difficult to get to justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and so that kind of segues us into. Uh, a different topic of, or a slightly different topic of um, this police brutality or corruption in police departments yeah. and what to do about it. Yep. And so, you know, I, I, I interned at my local sheriff's office. Right. Um, you know, we have been protected by the police when we were living in a high crime area. We have numerous, uh, with police officer friends and yep. friends who are married to police officers and, you know, high amount of trust in, in that system, protecting us and keeping us safe. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, we absolutely, you know, the, I personally think the whole abolish the police <laughs> argument is 
just kind of a silly moot point. But I do think that there is a conversation to be had about how to bring accountability because Mm -hmm. um, police officers are government employees who are given power over life and death and power over, yeah, uh, serving justice. Yeah, it's a significant duty, uh, significant role for any human being to play. It's the police are the, I think the typical way that we as like civilians come into contact with the power of the government or the state, Hmm. capital S state, Um, not like Nevada, but (laughs) the state. Um, Government is, the classic definition of government is an organization that has the a permissible monopoly on force hmm. and some people just say monopoly on force i think the permissible thing is an interesting qualifier because gangs have monopolies on forces <laughs> but this a government has a permissible monopoly on force so the police in our modern context that's how we come into contact with the power of the state this life or death uh, or the liberty constraining of liberty people's liberty uh is through contact with the police and i'm for me it's been i've been struck by just the there just seems to be in the air that like there's only one way to do this thing that we're, police are trying to accomplish you know protecting a community um maintaining order pursuing criminals bringing about justice is kind of one one part of the justice system when uh, I was looking at just quick history, like the first uniformed police uh, force was in Paris in the late 1600s. Hmm. So it's only been for, you know, like 400 years or some such that we'd have any like recognizable like police force throughout history. There were different like things that looked sort of like police forces, but it's, it's like, we, it doesn't have to look exactly like it looks today. I think that's hmm. the, that's the thing uh, that, that has struck me. Um, and there's, there's some creative ideas out there, um, which we can maybe talk a yeah. little more about, but, and I mean, I think here we expect police to do too much, you know, oh, they're yeah. at the front lines of dealing with substance abuse problems in the community, right. you know, with mental health problems where oftentimes they're not given training and they have to deal with, you know, uh, homelessness problems and, mm-hmm. Um, so we task stops. Yeah, right. We, we task them with far too much, um, and expect them to do too much socially in our communities, right. That maybe should be divided out into something other than the police force, um, or a different, you know, unit within. I remember when I had my internship at the sheriff's office, I mean, they hired people that dealt with, you know, sexual abuse of minors in the community Mm. that would, they would, um, be helping with and whatnot. And so there's just so many things that the police force does, mm-hmm. um, that they're just kind of overburdened and, you know, not to mention the mental toll of encountering, you know, that the hardest parts of the community every single day. I know. I think if I were in a police officer's shoes, just how <laughs> terrifying it would be every single encounter with, you know, is this person, on something and do they have a mental illness? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, reading most violent encounters with police are in traffic stops. Yeah. Um, and there's the, I, some ideas out there. I think a program in England, like unbundling the police is this idea. Uh, I guess this particular idea in England that's being tested. And I don't think it's, I don't think they have legal authority yet, but 
basically a, giving another organization kind of traffic duties. <laughs> so you can imagine unbundling that from like the daily uh, duties that a police officer would have. And uh, this economist, Alex Tabarrok, uh, who I like, I like his stuff generally. And he, he made an interesting point. You know, we don't, there, we do other things like this in society. Like police don't do uh, restaurant inspections. <laughs> uh, there is a restaurant inspection. You know, health de- health department takes care of restaurant inspections, and they don't carry guns. And but they still have uh, hmm. authority to fine and to enforce the law. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think yeah, you're totally right. Like there's way too much. I think that we ask police forces to do. Right, right. Um, well, yeah, that I think that is probably a big part of this. Um, another part mm-hmm. is rethinking the incentives and accountability. Um, right. You know, reading about both what is happening in Minneapolis and then some articles about different police uh, forces around the country. There are these civilian oversight boards. And apparently in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. um, Derek Chauvin had we we both read different accounts of this one account said he had 12 civilian complaints in their oversight board you read one that said 18 18, complaints so you know he was known in these oversight boards you know he had had these complaints those are Um, the only the formal ones too right right to to this board um but apparently this board didn't have enough teeth to ever act on it and so this um question it sounds like in many communities these oversight boards um don't have great enough authority or Mm -hmm. it sounds like the police unions come up against them and you know uh, oppose their efforts understandably yeah um so you know what what can be done with oversight um, and then another big issue that actually does not just affect uh, police, it affects all government employees, is something called qualified immunity, which is kind of a hot topic lately. It is. It is. Uh, do you have a definition for I, it? I do. Thanks oh, for asking. Thank God. <laughs> I Googled it before this um, from the Institute for Justice has a great page of resources. Our friend Chad Reese. Wrote an excellent piece recently on qualified immunity. Go check it out. New York Daily Post, I believe. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, qualified immunity. We'll put this in the show notes. Um, under this uh, term, which actually is not even a law, it is just kind of case laws uh, mm. decided by the Supreme Court. Right. Um, under qualified immunity, government workers can only be held accountable for violating someone's rights if a court has previously ruled that it was clearly established that those precise actions were unconstitutional in the same in the same jurisdiction yeah so it's like a geographic area Mm -hmm. and this has to do with like say me as a citizen bringing suit against a police officer if I thought I was wrongfully or a mayor or any other government employee uh, or a school administrator or something like that. So it actually, it didn't start out with police. It started out with other government employees and Uh, it was just applied to police. So what, what is an example of this? If that definition just sounded like a bunch of jargon, (laughs) um, (laughs) an example is 
Courts have granted qualified immunity to police who stole hundreds of thousands of dollars because there was no earlier case holding that stealing is unconstitutional in that jurisdiction. So it's just like these gross abuses of power happen under this kind of case law of qualified immunity. And many people are now calling that we actually need to have a law that Hmm. protects our constitutional rights against this. And no matter who you are, I think you should be looking at this issue of qualified immunity as a citizen holding government accountable for the power that they hold. I Mm -hmm. mean, this is, it's liberty constraining to (laughs) just be like beholden to whatever the state decides to do through government officials. It shouldn't be as difficult as it is for us to hold those in power accountable. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, we should... At, at the top of the list when we think about issues like this is how are different minorities affected by this, right? Mm-hmm. Because minorities are the first ones who get trampled, get their constitutional rights trampled, right. as we've seen time and time again. Um, and, you know, it's those who don't have the power to speak out or whatnot. And, you mm-hmm. know, like we said in the beginning, social media has kind of equalized that, right? If you don't have, true. Yeah. you know, money or power, you can have these viral videos, right, that um, you tell your story. Right. Yep. It's been a, that's been an important equalizer. And I think there, there are some reforms that are necessary. And, you know, thinking, maybe to wrap this up, you know, thinking creatively. Mm-hmm. about other other solutions like unbundling some police duties to other mm-hmm. new or already existing programs out there. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's so many solutions out there. We are not the experts, um, nope. but uh, those are just a couple that we've been thinking about. Um, and as far as, you know, how should Christians think about this, I just, I wanted to read through a couple of Bible verses that talk about justice. And I thought this first one particularly goes to the point of when justice is done, um, that every everyone wins. So Proverbs 21 verse 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Hmm. And isn't that the truth? And then, mm-hmm. um, Micah six, eight, this is kind of the, the popular one. Um, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And then Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and please the widow's cause. Hmm. Like that's the, yeah, that's the, that's the core of it. The starting point, the, and it, you know, I like your, your point too, about remembering Derek Chauvin as well. Like there was suffering there too, but hmm. like the fact that justice was done for George Floyd and his family and friends, all the people who knew him, like these are human beings created in the image of God and staying focused on those, like the the elements in those verses you just read. I think that's, that's uh, Mm -hmm. so important, but so there's, there's a lot going on that I think is lost in, like you said, oversimplified in like a two sided dichotomy. Yes. Yes. Thinking. And, you know, like, uh, frankly, a lot of people either stand to gain or like conflict, right? Right. (laughs) 
particularly media talking heads that want to make you think that this is dichotomous, that there's, you know, the winner and the loser, and it's either police or it's Black Lives Matter, and it can't be both. And I think the majority of Americans, if they really looked at this, could see there is a path forward, and there has to be a path forward. Yeah, and I guess one one final thought to wrap up with the Christians. So think of, you know, starting with like the the lowly, the the forgotten, yes. the, yes. the people whose rights are trampled. So I think that's why it's been good to see George Floyd and his family elevated, I think, above certainly what a black American's life would have been, how a black American's life would have been treated, you know, 20, 50, certainly 100 years ago, 200 mm-hmm. years ago. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the context matters, right? We can't yes. just, you know, hold George Floyd out on his own case. We have to look at the history of the past 200 plus yep. years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well. Shifting gears. Yes, yeah, shifting gears into Stinkers and Thinkers, everyone's favorite segment. Taylor, what is your stinker of the week? My stinker, I think it's a stinker because I really wanted it to be amazing and it was just sort of okay. The John Boehner memoir. Oh, you finished it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. It came out. <gasps> How April dare 13th. you call it a stinker? I know. I just really thought it was, was going to be awesome. So I, like, I, I would have, I'd be curious to know if anyone's read it who hasn't worked around or in Congress. Oh, interesting. Because just, I, th- it's like inside baseball. Yeah, it's super inside baseball. Lots of names that I don't know. If, like he does a decent job at explaining like this is what this person committee does, blah blah blah. Or here's the scenario. But the the parts that jumped out to me and I thought were like the better parts were like the like I don't know if people were aware of the context of like such and such character, you know, saying uh, this and that or this organization doing such and such thing. So it's kind of like an insider. Yeah. It was a little rambly, yeah. which is fine. You know, I think it's like Boehner's character. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I was just, I was a little disappointed. Oh, interesting. See, I think I'd be disappointed if it wasn't an insider. But oh, I haven't okay. read it yet. You need to read so. it. Oh, interesting. I, that, that surprises me. Um, <laughs> My stinker is actually a riff off of one of your previous stinkers, and it was the Oscars. So Ah. if you haven't listened to every episode, Taylor said award shows generally were his stinkers in the past. Right. Viewership's way down. And especially I read this year's Oscars was like nine million in the pits. Yeah. Yes. Hardly anyone watched it, which makes me glad because... The winner for best documentary, and this is actually one of our thinkers in the past, the documentary that should have won, brought everyone to tears, was outstanding, was Crip Camp about the disability rights movement and the history of this camp and these Mm -hmm. kids that went to this camp. It was incredible. What documentary won? I don't even know that it's the dumb octopus one. (laughs) I don't know. Taylor, what's it called? It, I cannot believe the dumb octopus one beat out Crip Camp. That, that's a travesty. The dumb octopus. <laughs> I don't even know the name. I'm not even going to dignify it. My octopus teacher? Yes. I've seen half of it. And then I saw some like Twitter thread that sort of ruined it. Yeah. It's inappropriate for the show, but... <sighs> Yeah, it was just yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's a good one. And that's and that is why the Oscars viewership 
is low. <laughs> terrible, terrible. It should just be like a. So I, w- I was referencing the Oscars this year, but like it should just be an online list because it's like here's this group <laughs> of people who are in the industry, blah, blah blah, and like they have experience. Apparently, terrible taste. <laughs> well, maybe in like the awards, but. Like it, as far as compiling a list of like interesting things to watch, say, oh. hmm. like that's that's the value that perhaps it has. Huh. But then, yeah, they they, <laughs> they miss all sorts of stuff. Okay, what's your wait? Am I giving my thinker? Sure. What's your thinker? Okay. Um, it is Mozart's Requiem. <laughs> oh, very elite of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was reading about it. Your it, mother would be proud. <laughs> she would be if my mother's listening. Uh, I was reading a. Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God, and talks about, you know, people who don't have faith kind of bumping into, uh, you think everyone, no matter if you have a faith or you don't, you bump into these moments in life where it's just like, whoa, like something, there's something transcendental happening. And Mm -hmm. someone was talking about being an atheist, listening to Mozart's Requiem and kind of like, how can there not be something more, this beautiful beautiful piece of music. And I realized I don't really know this piece of music at all. And so... Lately, when I take Hudson to daycare, we fire up Mozart's Requiem and, <laughs> and peel out of the garage. The Barkley men. Yeah. And uh, I need to look up the English translation of lyrics, but they're very, it's, you yeah. know, it's very worshipful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping to get to a point where, you know, someone can just like throw it on, you know, the tunes, throw the tunes on. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's Mozart's Requiem. Wow. Hudson's being educated at a young age. I don't know. He seems ambivalent. <laughs> <laughs> it's no cocoa melon. Let's just say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, What's your thinker? My thinker was the movie we watched together last weekend. I think I've said before, I strangely really like Cold War era books, movies, all of the above. And this movie um, based on a real story, The Courier with Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumber. What's his name? Botch. What's his name? Cumberbatch. <laughs> you Cumberbatched that one. <laughs> I just teed you up. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was that was not planned, folks. Listening at home, but yeah, that was that was a real softball. It was like it wasn't even a softball. It was like a, pitching someone a beach ball. <laughs> Anyway, him. <laughs> him. I can't even say any more on that. The movie was good. I cried even. A great story. Go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good review. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is where the Barclays. We'll see you next week. <laughs>